The Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation are the traditional owners on the land, sea and sky where this episode was recorded. I would like to pay my respect to Elders past and present. And I would also like to acknowledge any First Peoples listening to this podcast. Welcome to Weekend Birder Season 2. I'm your host, Kirsty Costa, and I'm a teacher, science communicator, and bird nerd. It's great to be back with you again. I hope you've been keeping well and enjoying many birding adventures since we last spoke. Friends, we have such an awesome series ahead of us. Thousands of people around the world now tune in each week, and many of you sent through episode suggestions. We are kicking off Season 2 with a focus on birdwatching and mental health, a topic requested by Josh, Rosalind, and Sally. Here to help us understand the science is Dr. Luke Smith. Luke is a neuropsychologist who specialises in mindfulness, and he's also my brother. Luke's not a bird watcher, but he has a special connection to the birds around him. I was basically indoctrined into a love of birds by my family. Out of our family, I'm probably the least birdie, if I can put it that way. But I definitely grew up with a love of nature and love of the Australian bush. And I don't think you can have a love of the Australian bush without having a love of birds. And even though I am not as dedicated at finding my lifers and ticking off my lists, I definitely love when I'm out in nature, which is pretty regularly, just tuning into the environment around me. And that can include the movements of the trees, that can include the sound of the waves, but often it's the sound of the birds. And for me particularly, what I often notice is I hear the birds before I see them and then there's that sort of looking up into the trees and up into the sky and realising there's a whole world above your heads that you never really kind of pay attention to um, unless you are doing it on purpose like when you're bird watching. So um, I find birds fascinating also from a scientific point of view. Even though my science is really neuropsychology, I find the natural world really a pretty fascinating place. For example... I've got two young boys who are both age under 10 and you know we've read books together about the evolution of dinosaurs and birds and how so many dinosaurs had feathers etc you know I think that whether you're a dedicated bird watcher or not you know we've evolved with birds throughout our evolution I think there's no coincidence that when we spend time paying attention to birds or following your passions that that you often find that connection with them I've roped Luke into this interview because he is a scientist who specialises in mindfulness. Luke is going to explain to us what mindfulness is and potentially what happens in our brains when we birdwatch. But before he does that, let's hear more about his work. So I'm a clinical neuropsychologist and a neuropsychologist is really a psychologist that specialises in brain functioning. So unlike the psychologist that you see in the movies, um, when you might be lying down on a chaise lounge and talking about all the things troubling you, which is really important work. Um, That's usually uh, for clinical psychologists or or general psychologists or even counsellors. My work really looks at trying to understand brain function and in particular looking at something called cognitive functioning, which is really just a fancy word for thinking and memory type skills and mental abilities. Neuropsychologists um, also specialise in looking at the relationship between the brain and things like your behaviour. Uh, your mental health, your decision-making. And we are trained in assessing those things and then also providing support around them, such as 
rehabilitation or management strategies. Neuropsychologists are employed in many, many different settings. I'm probably not even doing justice in terms of the range of skill sets and diversity of what my colleagues can do. But in general, I'm a, a brain nerd psychologist. And that's, I guess, why I naturally became interested in mindfulness. And I've worked um, in lots of different settings as a neuropsychologist. I've worked in hospitals. I've worked in outpatient clinics. I've worked in the community. I work privately right now as well. There's not a lot of neuropsychologists around, although it's a really strong community and association. And if people are wanting to find out more, my recommendation would be to go to the Australian Psychological Society website um, and just look up the information there on what neuropsychologists do. A few years ago, Luke was invited to join the team at the Monash Centre for Consciousness and Contemplative Studies at Monash University, which is known as M3CS. The centre promotes our common humanity by integrating interdisciplinary consciousness research, community engagement and contemplative education. We're really looking at promoting our common humanity by integrating interdisciplinary consciousness research, community engagement and contemplative education. Um, It's interesting because the the centre was actually funded through a generous philanthropic grant from the Three Springs Foundation. We conduct research across so many different areas, including humanities, psychology, medicine, and I'm actually part of the education team. And we try and deliver really innovative, evidence-based, practical education. And we also really engage with the community. So, for example... We really promote interfaith and secular dialogue, and we have lots of sort of different partnerships with different organisations. But it's a really fascinating place to work because there's this collection of people that just have amazing backgrounds and interests. You know, we've got these incredible researchers, incredible educators, people of all diverse backgrounds that really look at how do we research and study contemplative practices, and then how does that how's that going to help people? How's that going to help the world? So there's both a research and a practical element to it, and I guess for me, it's a, it's a perfect fit because I am a neuropsychologist who is fascinated by people in the brain and my own personal journey is that eight years ago, seven or eight years ago, I started practicing mindfulness and really fell in love with it. Personally, I'm not one who enjoys sitting in meditation, but when I birdwatch, I feel my mind becoming calmer and my mental health improving. I use birdwatching to chill out after a busy week at work and I also activate it as a tool when life is feeling a little bit overwhelming. We've heard from previous weekend birder guests that they use it in the same way. Mindfulness is a word that is thrown around a lot and Luke is here to explain what it means. Look, there's lots of different definitions out there and I don't mean to sort of start with the dictionary definition that you get at a conference where everybody just turns off. But it is a, sometimes a, a, a difficult thing to encapsulate. So I guess the one of the most widely accepted definitions and the one that I think is is really accurate is by John Kabat-Zinn. And John was a real pioneer in the field in terms of sort of modern secular mindfulness. And his definition, and I may not be quoting it perfectly, is mindfulness is the awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. Now, that may seem like a bit wordy and a bit long, but why I think that definition um, is one of the most accurate is it really encapsulates the different components of mindfulness. So mindfulness really is about paying attention in the present moment. It's about doing that on purpose. It's trying to do that in a non-judgmental and a kind sort of way. And as you do that and as you practice mindfulness, particularly over a longer period of time, you start to develop this awareness, an awareness of what is happening in your mind, 
an awareness of what your mind does, an awareness even about how your mind interacts with the world and your place in it, an awareness of yourself. Even though the definitions may vary a bit, there is definitely that component of, of attention, of training your attention. Our mind wanders approximately almost half the time. And by mind wandering, I mean we have this amazing propensity in our minds to time travel. We have thoughts about the future. We have thoughts about the past. You know, we can um, fantasize about things. In other words, almost half the time, our attention is not on the thing in front of us. It's an amazing cognitive ability to be able to do that. But what we know is that when we are caught up in this mind wandering, particularly when we're doing it excessively, that it can really harm our well-being. You know, for example, when we're thinking about the future, often it's actually worrying about the future, catastrophizing about the future. You know, we all have that to-do list in our head that never feels like it gets done. And if we're constantly caught up in worrying about the future or catastrophizing or, 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 or even going the other way, worrying about the past, ruminating about things that have happened in our lives, regretting things, then we feel that emotionally. So it's not just a cognitive process of thinking about the future or thinking about the past. Often when we're doing that, the experience is not enjoyable. Um, it can cause us stress. And we know that in some ways, our mind doesn't necessarily truly differentiate between real events happening in our lives and the events that are happening in our head. So when you are considering an upcoming event or a meeting you've got coming up, or maybe even when you're planning to go bird watching and, and worrying about all the equipment you need to take, um, you feel it in your body. You know, we often think about the body as a talisman for our emotions because there's such a strong connection between our mind and our body. And people have probably heard things like the flight, fight, freeze response, the stress response. But people who are listening may even notice that sometimes even their thoughts can trigger off those sort of stressful emotions. So if we can develop the skill or the ability to be able to practice bringing our attention back to the present moment and grounding our attention in the present moment, then we reduce how often we're caught up in this mind wandering. Luke says that there is a growing body of research into how our brain works and the impacts of mindfulness. When our mind is wandering, when it's what we call in resting state, so we're not really paying attention to anything, when we notice that time traveling or fantasizing in our head, there is a system within the brain called the default mode network. And this is a really well-known, well-researched part of the brain. And there is basically some structures within the brain and what we call the midline of the brain, which when you're not paying attention to something, all start to light up, for lack of a better term. And what's really interesting is that we know that these parts of the brain, the default mode network, are not just active when we are not paying attention, when we're in this resting state, is that they are also associated, for example, with what we call self-referential thinking. In other words, we are usually the biggest fans of ourselves. And when our default mode network is active, there is a greater likelihood that we are experiencing the world from a very uh, person-centered point of view, a very egocentric point of view. And often when that occurs, it, even though that's a really normal thing that happens, it can cause some issues for us because we take everything very personally and everything feels very big and important. It's also, for example, switched on when we're ruminating. So when we, our thoughts are flying around in our head and we're worrying about the past, regarding the past or the future, we know that that's more active. Now, that's going to be active anyway for everybody. So there's nothing really abnormal about that. But when it is overly active or too active, we know, for example, 
that it can be associated with issues with our well-being and mental health. Now, so for example, we know from research is that people who experience lots of worries like anxiety or low mood like depression, they often have a much, much, much greater activation of the fault mode network. And that's why in some ways research has shown that um, interventions that are based on mindfulness, the really well-known ones like mindfulness-based stress reduction or mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy, that they can reduce, for example, the risk of someone having a relapse for depression. Because in some ways, one of the aspects of what it does is that it helps to dampen down that default mode network activation. And what occurs is that when you are paying focused attention to something, it actually in some ways deactivates or dampens down that default mode network, which is one of the amazing things that happens when suddenly we pay attention to something. And by training our attention to do that through using mindfulness practices over time, we know that over time our default mode network, how frequent and active it is, starts to decrease. So that's really, I guess, what's happening in a more sort of general way in the brain when we're practicing mindfulness. And by the way, mindfulness is something that we are all born with. When we are practicing mindfulness, really we are cultivating or practicing a skill that we already have. For people who are listening who maybe haven't practiced mindfulness before as a formal practice or even maybe we practiced a little bit, you can probably think of moments in your life where you have felt really present and connected with what's going on. Now, over time, and the research is a bit mixed here, so I'm just being careful in what I say because um, there's still a bit of debate within different scientific circles, that we think over time with practice that it does change the way our brain functions, possibly changes some of the structure of our brain as well. And as I said, research studies are a bit mixed, but there's a part of the brain that is heavily involved in that flight-fight response, that ancient part of our brain called the amygdala, which is really involved in when we sense danger, activating our propensity about whether we're going to run away, whether we're going to fight, or sometimes for people, whether we freeze. And we know that for long-term meditators, for example, some studies have shown that their amygdala actually shrinks over time because it's just not used as much. It's not as active. You know, there's a little bit of debate around this, but for example, there's structures in the brain that relate to things like our emotional regulation, um, the awareness we have of ourselves and our bodies that seem to show changes over time as we practice mindfulness. But the research in this area is still ongoing and we're still discovering more and more as we go. Even though the research is really important because it gives us confidence and evidence about how effective mindfulness practices are or what they're doing within our, our brain and our mind, there's also this idea that mindfulness in some ways is also an inner experiment. <laughs> it's some inner research. And that's not to say that the the external research is important. I mean, I think it's incredibly crucial, but it's also when you start to practice mindfulness yourselves, you can notice things about yourself and the changes that occur. And so my big question is, is birdwatching a form of mindfulness? Mindfulness comes in a few different forms. So formal mindfulness really is meditation or mindfulness meditation. But also there's something called informal mindfulness, which is where we try to bring our attention to the moments in our lives. So it's a really good question. Is birdwatching mindfulness? If I can rephrase that a little bit, firstly, I would say it absolutely lends itself to mindfulness. And maybe the question is, while you're birdwatching, are you being mindful? So let's, let's start at the beginning. One of the things we're trying to do with particularly mindfulness meditation and including and also informal mindfulness 
is we're attempting to anchor our attention to the present moment. When I started practicing meditation um, and mindfulness, I didn't have a clue what they were talking about. What is the present moment? Like, what does that even mean? Being a relatively skeptical scientist, it made me feel like I was reading some sort of advertising, (laughs) you know, about living in the present moment, you know, some sort of sporting brand or, you know, some sort of something like that. Try and put it plainly that the present moment is here and now. And so when we are practicing mindfulness, we are trying to anchor our attention to something in the present moment. And what we try and do is we anchor our attention to a few different things. For example, you can anchor your attention. You can pay attention to your breathing. Your breathing is always in the present moment. Your breathing is always here. We try and anchor our, we can anchor our attention to our body. Where it really relates to for bird watching is actually our senses. So often we're in meditation or an informal mindfulness, we're anchoring our attention to our senses because our senses are always in the present moment. So it could be things like what you're seeing, what you're hearing. It can even be what you're touching, what you're tasting, what you're smelling. For me, bird watching is such a sensory experience. Like you are paying absolute almost attention to what you're seeing, whether that's through some binoculars or that's just through your own eyes. You are attentively listening for the sounds of birds, for calls, for the interaction. So even the touch and feel of your binoculars, how they feel in your hands, the weight of them, how comfortable they are, how they feel on your eyes. It's a really central experience. You can be unmindful when you're bird watching. I mean, you could be looking at the most incredible bird or that lifer that you've been trying to track down for years. But if you're distracted by your thoughts about what you've got to do after you go bird watching, or the fact that this morning on the way to bird watching you got a flat tire and you're not sure how you're going to get it repaired and what's going to happen, that's not really being mindful. That's not to feel guilty about, by the way. Our minds do do that. So you can be unmindful whilst you're bird watching if you're not paying attention to the process of bird watching. But I think because it's so sensory, it really lends itself to being mindful. And I actually think that it bird watching could be argued when you practice like that is actually an informal mindfulness practice. And I want to put a caveat there is that as mindfulness has become more popular in the world, there are some people who spruik it as a cure for everything and a solve for everything. It, in my opinion, it isn't. And in fact, mindfulness isn't for everybody. But there is something about that connection through our senses with the natural world, which I think is a really mindful experience to have. There is also a growing body of research about the relationship between mental health and connecting with the birds around us. For example, researchers at the King's College in London asked over a 1,000 participants to collect information about their environment and well-being using a smartphone app. Everyday encounters with birds were found to improve mental well-being, even in those people with diagnosed depression. On average, the benefits were also felt hours later after a participant had seen or heard a bird. Luke has some advice about testing out some mindfulness practice, whether it be formal meditation or informal mindfulness like birdwatching. So when I am teaching mindfulness, for example, at Monash or whether it's just in my own private work, particularly for people who haven't practiced it before or haven't practiced it a lot, there's a few things I always say. And the first is that start gradually, start small, particularly with meditation. If you've never really meditated before, going to a five-day retreat or spending even half an hour meditating can be a really challenging experience, particularly when it takes us time to understand the techniques even the words we use when we meditate. So start small, five to 10 minutes at meditations, even less if you want. And if you are just new to mindfulness, only just starting, 
my recommendation is to do guided meditation. Guided meditation is when you're listening to someone else walk you through or talk you through a meditation. But it's really important that if you're doing a guided meditation that you have confidence in the quality and evidence of the meditation you're participating in. We know from research that it's really important that it's a reputable meditation or meditation teacher that you're listening to. Um, what I tend to do and what we recommend is to bookend our days with meditation. So doing a meditation in the morning and doing one at night, but you really have to make it work for your routine. So as I mentioned before, I've got two young kids. So I often meditate in the morning, either in my walk-in wardrobe or in my bedroom, (laughs) uh, because the kids generally find me otherwise. And I will meditate after I have a shower because I'm just a bit more awake. And then at night I generally will meditate not exactly before bed because if I get into my pajamas and meditate on my bed I just fall asleep and one of the ideas about mindfulness meditation is to try and stay a bit more alert but it's really finding what works for you and then during the day I punctuate my day either with some really short meditations which we call common meditations which sometimes are only a minute or practicing informal mindfulness such as going for a walk and really paying attention to my feet or going bird watching is a great example of that punctuating your day even with a brief bird watching experience would be a great informal mindfulness activity and also it can be really helped to find other people who might be practicing mindfulness to talk to them to practice together if you want kind of keep each other accountable for lack of a better word and also I have found that during parts of my life that my mindfulness practice has waxed and waned which is really normal it can be challenging at sometimes when you feel really busy and you don't have a lot of time so also considering your intention for why you want to be in the present moment more, why you don't want to be caught up in mind wandering all the time can be really useful and everybody's intentions will be different. As I said, mindfulness is not for everybody and I'm definitely not preaching. <laughs> but if you are interested, um, one of the great things about it becoming more popular is there's a lot more resources out there. From a meditative point of view, you could imagine that if you spend even some brief time before you birdwatch bringing your attention back to the present moment, then I would argue that your experiences during your bird watching will probably be more mindful. If we um, practice meditation, not every time, but sometimes we recognize that our mind just settles and becomes a bit calmer and our attention is a bit more in the present moment. So if you already primed to do that going into a bird watching adventure, then you'll probably, I think there's a chance you'll experience less mind wandering and you'll be paying more attention to the birds themselves. I think also that informal mindfulness when you're bird watching is probably just as useful. And that really is just paying a bit more attention to the sensory experience. So it might be really grounding yourself where you might be standing or sitting, feeling your feet on the ground or feeling yourself sitting on a chair or noticing the environment if you're in a bird hive, for example, and then really paying attention to the feel of your binoculars if you're using them, noticing the feel of them in your hands, bringing them up to your eyes, noticing the feel of the binoculars on your eyes, really paying attention to what you're seeing, including the shape of the birds, the color of the birds, the behavior of the birds, paying attention to what you're hearing. And then when your attention wanders during that experience, just bringing it back to those same sensory anchors, whether it's the feel of your binoculars or what you're seeing or what you're hearing or being in place with your body, connection with the ground, etc. That's why it's such a it lends itself so well, I think, to a mindfulness practice. Yeah, and also like you, and you, you may even notice that when you're bird watching, apart from maybe your mind occasionally being distracted and wandering to other things that's not to do with bird watching, you might also notice that when you're paying attention to the birds, you notice memories. 
starting to come through your mind about previous birdwatching experiences or books you might have read or you know documentaries you might have seen you might even notice emotions um starting to whether it's this sort of warm connection with the natural world there might even be excitement that you're seeing a bird you haven't seen before or witnessing something a bird is doing that you've never seen before you may even notice negative emotions when you're bird watching um but it's just and that's i think when we come back to the definition of mindfulness I think what's often neglected is this idea of this awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. It's that awareness of the interaction between your bird watching and what's happening inside you, what's happening in your internal world, um, which is also part of the mindfulness experience. Luke has really helped us understand the important connection between bird watching and mental health. What a great human. Next time I'm out birding, I'm going to try slowing down a bit more and tuning in with my senses. Well, friends, what an interesting way to kickstart season two. If you would like to support this podcast, please leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference. You can also come and visit us on Instagram to get regular updates and enter competitions. Many thanks to Neg and Maddock for supporting our latest cockatoo giveaway. To finish this episode, Luke has prepared for us a short birdwatching mindfulness practice that you can listen to before you start birdwatching. Prior to finding an area in which we might want to go birdwatching, maybe while we're standing there or sitting there or crouching, just bringing attention to our body, dropping into our body to start with, maybe bringing our attention to the contact between our body and the ground or our body and the chair, Maybe even bringing our attention all the way down to our feet and just noticing the weight of our body pressing down on the ground. Even the feeling of our feet in our socks or in our shoes or for our bare feet, just our connection with the ground. So really anchoring our attention to our body. And then maybe paying attention to our binoculars if we're using them. Really bringing our attention to our hands and that connection with the binoculars. Maybe noticing the texture of our binoculars, the weight of our binoculars. And then bringing our binoculars up to our eyes and noticing the feel of the binoculars around our eyes. And even if we're not using binoculars, if we're just simply seeing today, bringing our attention to what we can see, noticing our natural environment or where we're bird watching, maybe noticing any trees, even any buildings, just simply paying attention to the colors and shapes and movement of what we're observing. And whilst this is all happening, If we notice that our mind starts to wander, that's completely normal. Our mind is a thinking machine. Our mind will wander. All we're simply doing is attempting to notice when that happens, notice when we become distracted, and gently, in a a non-judgmental way, bringing our attention back to what we're seeing. And we can also pay attention to what we're hearing, really bringing our full attention to the experience of sound. Initially, just allowing the sound to come to us, not necessarily going looking for anything in particular, just initially settling our attention on the sound in our environment. And then we could even stretch our sound out, stretching our sound out into the far off distance. Again, initially not necessarily looking for anything in particular, just simply paying attention to the sounds that we can hear. And then obviously, which is a really normal part of bird watching, is in trying to pay attention to the sounds and signs of birds. And again, whilst we're paying attention to what we're seeing or hearing, we may notice that our mind wanders. We may notice we'll become distracted with thoughts about the future or memories about the past. And then just noticing that and then gently bringing back our attention to this experience of of watching birds. 